iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. Over the next month, we continue to bring you podcasts every match day of the World Cup after 10 o'clock UK time every night. In the studio with me from The Times, it's Mr. James Gearbrandt. And in Volgograd, anxiously awaiting England's opener against Tunisia, it's Jonathan the Darting Don Northcroft. More on that (laughs) in a moment. Uh, Later on, we'll be speaking to The Times chief football correspondent Oliver Kay in Moscow, who has witnessed the biggest shock of the tournament so far. The holders, Germany, beaten by Mexico. And the bookies' favourites, Brazil, have just dropped points too, drawing with Switzerland. But... Let's start with the England cap, 24 hours away from that first match. Uh, Jonathan, good to speak to you. Let's get more on that important issue out of the way first. And the reason that I refer to you as the darting Don, uh, you played <laughs> Deli Alley at darts. You kept that quiet on Saturday night. Oh, Natalie, yeah. I, I think, I think I'll, I'll be haunted by my personal tournament failure for, for <laughs> many years to come, just like one of an England player who played Iceland in 2016. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, I, I think as people know, the, the England team have been trying to be a lot more open, accessible and friendly with the media. And as part of that, they've they've arranged a, a sort of daily darts competition. Um, we were asked as a Sunday group of journalists to, to nominate someone. And, well, I have to say, I, I kind of fancied myself, to be honest. <laughs> I've, I've, I've played a bit of darts in my time. Um, you know, I thought, okay, they're professional international athletes, but you know, they might not have my hockey experience, and I, I fancied it. And 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 I just have to say that that um, uh, I'm afraid. Well, I you know, an, an international sportsman had a had a better mentality than me. I, I bottled it. I can't put it any other way. I, I threw 134 in practice and 24 at the real thing. Whereas 24. Delhi, who, 24. 24. Delhi, who painfully never played darts because he was kind of aiming at the middle of the board, um, sort of fluked to 25 and went, oh, is that good? Um, he, he got 53, so it wasn't even a contest. And the journalists are 3-0 down to the players at the moment, and we're now starting to contemplate the horror of a 23-0 whitewash. <laughs> hang, hang your head in shame. I don't I think you'll be allowed back into the UK after that. That is disgraceful. But goes to well, show that yeah. competitive action is so very different to practice, Jonathan. That's it. It's, it's all about, you know, it's mentality, it's mindset. I think I might need Pippa Grange, the England psychologist, <laughs> to have a strong word with me about 
things, you know, it, it, it was an experience. It was an experience. But fair play to Delhi. He, he was a really nice lad. That was the, that was the, I guess the benefit of doing these things. You kind of get a little bit of a sense of what people are like. And, and um, yeah, he, 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 he did actually seem a really decent bloke. Okay. Well, let's get on to matters, England, in that huge mm. game in the Volgograd Arena on Monday night. You've got some news, haven't you, with regards to some mosquitoes. Tell us a little bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a it's a local problem here. Volgograd's very hot. Um, it's kind of landlocked. Um, it's a very different climate to Rapino, which is, you know, sort of more like being in Scandinavia. It's on the sea. And, um yeah, we've we've been we've been born to look out for these mosquitoes, which can be the local mosquitoes are sort of kind of mosquito ultras. They're quite they're quite kind of uh, quite kind of hardcore when they when they get to grips with you. I mean, well, I you know I've I've only been here this since this morning. It was it was quite hot and dry in the morning and things were fine. But when I went out this evening, I did did notice uh, it was it was a bit of a problem. So. I guess England will have to be sort of sprayed up or whatever, whatever to um, to, to just take precautions tomorrow. Mm, well, this is what we're hearing that obviously they will be sprayed with repellent before the match. And uh, mm. the other interesting thing is that organisers are considering using a helicopter to drop a mass <laughs> payload of repellent over the ground. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's certainly leaving nothing to chance. Um, I mean, it, that that kind of make, makes visions for me of some sort of mosquito army kind of. You know, wondering what their counter tactics are going to be when this, the helicopter drops us from the sky, and, and they might have a plan for England. But I guess it's one of many things that you know we we, we can all kind of speculate about before the game. But but when it comes to it, as Delhi Ali showed on the hockey, these boys are professionals, and they will switch to game mode when they they need to be. And even if they're getting bitten by the most violent mosquitoes, they'll probably just crack on. Indeed. Uh, and staying with news on the stadium, the team, so we're hearing, decided against training there before the game. Now, is that usual? or I mean, would you not familiarise yourself with, with your surroundings? Yeah, I thought that was a funny one. I would have expected them to, to train. It seems to me what they've done is they've prioritised having quality training more than anything else. That's why they went to Rapino, even though Rapino's not really of the same climate of the places that England are playing. I think they went for somewhere that was going to be cool enough and quiet enough to train properly, and and I assume that they they decided not to train at the stadium because they could get a better session locally, and 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 you know that was prioritised over seeing the surface beforehand. Mm. Uh, by the way, if you are listening to us on Monday morning and you haven't picked up a copy of the Times yet, we urge you to do so. Uh, the game pullout front cover has what we expect to be the England lineup, accompanied by photos from their youth. So you're going to have our moments because there's baby pictures of Jordan Pickford and Carl Walker, especially cute pictures of those. Uh, it definitely is an our moment. Uh, but Jonathan, let's let's focus then on, on England again. And previously, when England have gone into tournaments, they haven't seemed to know their best system, their best players. But Gareth Southgate, yeah. on the other hand, appears to know all that already. I think one of the 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 strength that Gareth's got Natalie is, is is in his quiet way he, he he's very clear uh, and and very bold in, in in what he wants to do and he he started rehearsing for the tournament really back in October when England had already qualified and their last qualifier was against Lithuania he went to the back three I think he had a clear idea then that that's the way he wanted to go in the tournament and that was based on. 98 World Cup and Euro 96, which he'd been a part as a player, um, you know. And here we are. He hasn't deviated from that. It's going to be it's going to be a three-five-one-one. 
Um, I think he knows his personnel. It's impressive to me that he's, he's, he, he's, he, he, he does have this clarity because we'll remember examples like you know Fabio Capello phoning up all these old players to, on the eve of 2010 and, and trying to you know almost almost round up a scratch eleven to go in because he suddenly doubted what he already had. Um, we've seen England teams sort of you know start with one eleven and, and system and then try to find another one during the tournament. I don't think Gareth's going to do that. Um, and I've liked the system so far, but I have to say, you know, there's a lot that seems positive about England's build-up. Um, but the caution would be that, you know, tomorrow will be where we really start to to see how good it's been and how, how, how sort of valuable all these ideas are. Harry Kane, of course, is going to be playing up top, uh, James. He hasn't scored in a major tournament. But this was going to be a great chance for him to get up and running, isn't it, against Tunisia? Yeah, it is. It, it will be really interesting to see how Kane plays, I think, because I think the point has been made ad nauseam that Kane is, is England's one sort of real world-class player. And and I think perhaps more of it, he's, he's England's one real point of strength over some of their rivals. I think he's a, when he's at his best, he's a better centre-forward than probably Germany have got or, you know, some of the other the major nations. The, the, what's interesting about Kane, though, is that he finished the season, I, I felt pretty unconvincingly he picked up I think that uh, an ankle injury and he just after he returned from that I don't know whether Pochettino rushed him back in a bit too quickly but he just never he never quite looked right he wasn't getting off the same volume of shots that we usually see from him his 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 all-round contribution and sharpness just didn't seem there so uh, you know we always go through this don't we we always go through these these sort of um it seems that we never get to a, a, an international tournament without sort of a, a nationwide paranoia about one of England's best players. But it will be interesting to see if he's shaken off the the after effects of that sort of slightly kind of, um, yeah, sort of rusty and kind of clunky end to the season. But, you know, it did appear to be more of a fitness issue than anything else. So if he is back to full fitness, then we may see, you know, the real Harry Kane again. There's nothing that's absolutely outstanding about Harry Kane. He makes himself a top player by being as good as he can be in all the different sort of categories you'd want from a striker by being, you know, 8 out of 10 in everything, but he's not 10 out of 10 in anything. And I just wonder that because of that, he needs to be at his absolute maximum physically and everything else to, to, to be, you know, the the, the, the player that, 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 that we hope he can be. And, and he hasn't seemed at his absolute best physically since that ankle injury, even though he scored, you know, the, the stats suggest he's at his best. I think he scored something like nine and seven since that injury. But your eye tells you that he's not quite the Harry Kane that we know. So that's a big question for me. You know, I think there's no, the mentality is fine. He will say what he likes. It won't change him. It will probably fuel him. He knows how to do that. It, it's physically that I'm looking at Harry Kane and just wondering if he's going to be sharp enough to deliver what he can deliver. And and we're not going to know until he's in the heat of battle tomorrow. Joining us now is assistant sports editor at The Times, Tom Clark, who's been writing our tactical guide to Tunisia. And you can see that online at thetimes.co.uk. We focused on England, Tom, but what tactical challenges do they face on Monday night? Well, I think Tunisia are a very well-drilled side. Um, they qualified from their group conceding only four goals in six games and they were unbeaten. Now, obviously, they're playing against sides that aren't quite up to England's standards in terms of quality, but I think England will have to work very hard to break them down. 
They will tend to probably sit deep and look to counter-attack. They play with two defensive midfielders who will drop into the defence and be all over Raheem Sterling and Deli Ali. They won't get much time on the ball, I would have thought, near the Tunisia goal. And I've looked at whether they might benefit from putting early crosses into the box in the friendly against Spain. Tunisia struggled with that quite a lot of the time. Attackers running into the space between central defenders. So perhaps that's why Ashley Young's been picked for his delivery into the box from out wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps Kane and Deli Ali can uh, can uh, benefit from those. Oh, we mentioned in the last podcast that it was three defeats out of three for the African nations at this World Cup. Tunisia are without their top scorer from qualifying, Yusuf Msakani, who'll miss the tournament through injury. So what level are this Tunisia team at, Tom? Yeah, well, I mean, he's definitely a big loss for them. Um, but in the recent games that I've watched, uh, two players in particular have caught my eye. Uh, there's uh, Naim Sliti, who was very impressive against Spain. He's a similar player to Msakani, um, very quick, good on the ball, um, likes to drift in from the wide areas um, and play off a central striker. Um, so England should be aware of him. Um, also, Anis Badri scored two excellent goals in the recent friendlies uh, against Turkey and Portugal, both very similar, running onto a loose ball on the edge of the box and brilliant clinical finishes into the top corner. So, yes, they're missing a star man. Yes, they will be very defensive, I would have thought, looking to probably pinch a point but we should not underestimate them I think this tournament has shown you know particularly with recent recent results Germany Argentina dropping points I think Tunisia will be will surprise a few people I think Hmm. Um, and they do have threat going forward you've mentioned that their qualifying campaign unbeaten through that but when it comes to upping their game for a World Cup it hasn't quite worked out they in fact have the longest active World Cup winless streak of any side competing in Russia with no win in 11 so some hope there for England absolutely absolutely and I think England will be favourites and as I say having watched these games Spain beat them 1-0 you sense Spain were playing in first gear for a lot of it and I do think England will cause them problems, provided that, as I say, they move the ball quickly, they're confident on the ball. They might need some help from the defence, as I say, to help create space for Raheem Sterling, Deli Ali to find those little pockets where they could maybe play one-twos with Harry Kane. Uh, and I do think early crosses into the box would be a good way of, um, of, of getting at Tunisia because they conceded goals from crosses against Portugal. That looked a weakness against Spain as well. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Game 
World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Monday's games on TalkSport, including South Korea taking on Sweden at one o'clock, Belgium versus Panama at four, and the big one, England against Tunisia, live from seven o'clock on TalkSport. Let's move on to Rostov, the bookies' favourites to win a sixth World Cup Brazil. were held to a one-all draw with Switzerland in a game where there was, a, I guess you could say, limited Latino flair for the South Americans. Is that fair, James? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was quite a disappointing performance from Brazil, wasn't it? I think coming into the World Cup, I think Brazil were probably the even among that sort of rarefied company of all the the major contenders. They were really the ones where you thought, yes, they're really well grooved. They are, you know, they've really got a settled system. They know exactly how they want to play. Their results, obviously, have been extremely formidable um, and they obviously as we all know powered through South American qualifying but they were quite disappointing uh, uh, particularly I think Coutinho scored the opening goal they seemed to lose momentum um, allowed Switzerland to have a lot of the play obviously defended one set play extremely poorly for the Swiss equaliser I just wonder, obviously the system has slightly slightly changed a little bit from what it was in qualifying. It was that very, very ultra-settled 4-1-4-1 with Neymar on one wing and Coutinho on the other. And you had that sort of ultra-pragmatic central midfield of Paulinho, Casemiro and Renato Augusto. And what Tito's done is slightly tweaked it and taken out Renato Augusto, who I think has been struggling with fitness a little bit, and put, moved Coutinho from being on the right wing. He's sort of come into that more central midfield position. And I just wonder if that slightly leads to Neymar and Coutinho sort of slightly taking up the same sort of positions, which obviously you didn't get when they were on opposite wings. It was Switzerland that, that scored the next goal, obviously, after Coutinho had put Brazil ahead. That came just, what, five minutes or so after half time. Steven Zuba with a, a powerful header from close range. But there were, first of all, some defensive deficiencies from Brazil. But was there, Jonathan, a foul on Miranda? Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, I, I know. I think Mark Klamberg's been quite strong about this. To me, it wasn't. It wasn't clear. It was a nudge. Um, I can see why, if the referee has given it, then it's not a, a, one of those positions that's that's clear enough to to necessitate changing his his decision. Um, we go back to the problem we've got with VAR, isn't it? it it's, I don't think it actually does work very well for the marginal calls. It, 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 you know, we, we're happy when it's telling you something that's a matter of fact. You know, obviously, goal line technology has really done that in the game, and you're looking for VAR to, to, you know, help you with things like mistaken identity and a handball that's been missed or whatever it is. But these marginal calls, I think, it's just unsatisfying. You know, I think that was probably another example. Um, maybe Brazil are a little bit unlucky, but I have to say over the course of the game, Switzerland, Brazil weren't as good as I expected. I thought, I mean, Brazil are my tournament favourites, but Switzerland were a lot better than I thought they'd be. Mm. Um, fair play to them. They were they were organised, competitive, and believed they could do something. Switzerland are just, they're, they're just a very, very solid side. Um, I think in their last, their last 14 games, they've kept 10 clean sheets and... 
of the four sides that they've conceded against, three of them are obviously Brazil tonight and, and Spain and, and Portugal are two of the other three. Jonathan, just finally, Ronaldo came through Portugal's opener with flying colours, Messi not so much, and the other of the big three, Neymar, recovering from injury and Brazil's talisman. He started. How did he look to you? Yeah, not quite uh, not quite at the level that, that, that you know we know that he can be. Uh, his performance was certainly more in the Messi category than the Ronaldo category. Uh, uh, James is, is, is right, probably, that, that there's, there's always going to be an issue with him and Coutinho perhaps wanting to do the same things on, the, on that kind of left channel in, in a pitch. Um, and they've got to be careful about that. He, he, he just looked a little bit like he was a bit slower than, than, than the, you know, Neymar at his best. I think one of his assets is, is just you know, a fantastic ability to move the ball at speed, move with the ball at speed, or... or you know, those quick passes and, and, and so on. He, he's such a fast, fluent player at his very best. And um, it's possibly the effects of, of, of injury and layoff. But he didn't quite look at that sharpness. Um, and, of course, he had a couple of opportunities from free kicks, a bit like, a bit like Messi did, that, that he didn't take. So, you know, it's, it's early. It's, it's brilliant for us watching these three guys and seeing them all try to push each other and, Who's going to be the greatest? But I'm I'm reluctant to you know make too many judgments on the basis of of, of individual performances. Ronaldo's certainly you know he's ahead on the leaderboard from from his rivals at the moment, but it's early days between them. Well, Jonathan, as ever, good to speak to you. Keep up the practice with those arrows, won't you? <laughs> yeah, I fear I'll never get a second chance. That's the problem. <laughs> That's what tournament football is about. You don't get your second chances. <laughs> The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by one of the greats in the world of stats, our very own Bill Edgar. We asked you on Saturday, which country has a set of twins in its squad at this World Cup, having had a different set of twins at Euro 2016? Hmm, tricky one. Well, the answer is Russia. In Euro 2016, Alexei and Vasily Berezutsky represented the nation. And in Russia right now, it is Alexei and Anton Mirinchuk who are part of the squad. So our question for you on Sunday is, which member of Germany's squad at this World Cup was born on the day West Germany beat Argentina in the World Cup final in 1990? Tune in to our next podcast to find out the answer. The World Cup has been lit up by stunning free kicks already. And another from Alexander Kolarov saw Serbia beat Costa Rica in Samara. A classic Kolarov free kick, 10 minutes into the second half, sealed the points and sent the Serbs top of Group E as Costa Rica suffered defeat after reaching the quarterfinals four years ago. The holders, Germany, suffered a shock defeat at the hands of Mexico in Moscow. And joining us now is Oliver Kay, who watched the game uh, Oliver, the atmosphere, the emotion in the stadium, it looked incredible. It really was. I mean, you use the word emotion and, and, and the atmosphere. It, it's been so um, notable over the past week how many Mexicans, I mean, you've probably heard of Peruvians and Colombians and Argentinians as well, but Mexicans are here in huge, huge numbers. I think a lot of the tickets that were sold in America um, before the tournament was sold to Mexicans and, and, and they've come in huge numbers. They, they felt like they've been waiting years and years and years for this rather than just uh, four years since the last one. But they've given the impression that they are incredibly excited about it. Like they, they feel that there's something special unfolding and God, it, you know, it really did. The Luzhniki 
tonight and the atmosphere was just electric. I mean, I've been to so many World Cup games over the years and it's rarely, you know, it, it's often quite a kind of corporate um, atmosphere with all the sponsors and all, all that kind of corporate tickets. But this was just, it was just wild. It was like being in the Aztec Stadium in 1986. It was just so raucous, so fervent, and they um, they had so much to celebrate. And there was a huge outpouring of euphoria and relief at the end. It was, um, it was just magnificent to be to be part of. Mm. A lot of people are going to be very envious of you because you were at the Russia-Saudi Arabia game. You were at Spain-Portugal. Uh, it was a Herving Lozano strike that was the difference in the end between the two teams. So was this the game of the tournament so far for you? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say Spain 3, Ronaldo 3, maybe on, on um, Friday night, edges it in terms of high quality and, and high drama. But there was plenty of both. With this game, it was, it, was a, it was a brilliant game, really. I mean, um, end-to-end, and, and Germany probably felt that they could have scored three or four if they'd been a bit more clinical. But the same goes for, for Mexico. And I, I, I thought it was a, a brilliant, compelling, absorbing game. And, and Mexico just deserved so much praise for, for the way they played off it. The, the way they counterattacked with Lozano and Vela and Hernandez was just brilliant. Um, and they... You know, the way they produced their counterattacks, maybe they didn't finish them brilliantly, but um, but no, it, it, it was it was just fantastic. James, we saw Nigeria being very cagey against Croatia, Australia defensive against France, but Mexico really went for it, didn't they? I thought Mexico were absolutely superb, and and as you say, they came with a real game plan. They found a weakness, that susceptibility to to pace on the counter, and they came with a clear game plan to exploit it ruthlessly. They were well drilled, they were cohesive, and I think something that's kind of struck me over the first few games of the tournament is there's been a real marked difference between the sort of, what you might call the non-elite teams whose coaches have been in post for quite a long time. So the likes of, obviously, Azorio has been in charge for two and a half years with Mexico. The likes of Peru, who I thought were very impressive, Iceland, Iran, and those teams where the coaches haven't been in charge for quite so long. You just don't see that same level of tactical cohesion as I think you saw today from Mexico. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. Uh, Oli, did the Mexico manager, Juan Carlos Azorio, then outsmart Yugi Love? I think he did. I mean, he, he seemed to pinpoint weaknesses, as, as James said. I mean, the the way they pressed Germany in midfield, the way they sort of sucked them into congested areas in in the centre of the pitch, um, going forward, and then just blitzed them on the counter attack. Um, you know, with that pace, every time Kimi went 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 forward from right back, left his huge space, and Mexico seemed to to find that space very very quickly. In that in that respect, there was a Sort of similarity to you know the way Klopp's Liverpool had played at times, you know, almost bypassing the midfield at times in in order to get it forward quickly to the wings, drag drag the defence this way and that. I thought they were I thought they were so clever the way they did it, and and they had the speed and the, um, the skill and the fluency to to, to really stretch the German defence, just not the composure to, to to take more of their chances. And if they'd done that, um, if they'd done that, it, it could have been. Um, you know, it could have been really embarrassing for Germany. Inevitably, as we sort of dissect Germany, a lot of people will say, why didn't they take Leroy Sane? Do you subscribe to that, Oli? Uh, well, I do. I, I know when when the squad was announced, I think a lot of us Premier League um, 
regulars and Premier League watchers were staggered. And I think a lot of the people who had watched the German national team a lot more said, well, you know, he hasn't played great for Germany yet. The strength in depth that they have, Vaxler, Royce, etc., is extreme, and it, it, you know, that it was that you could rationalise it. But I thought, looking at the way they struggled today to, to, to break down a, a mass defence, well, that's something that Sane has been faced with week in, week out at Manchester City. He has played extremely well doing it. I know it's a slightly different setup, but I, I think, had he been there, had he been in the squad, I think he's exactly the type of player that. Um, that um, Yogi Love would have would have wanted to put on today. So I I I am surprised. I, I don't think it's a complete outrage because the um, the, the quality of their players is so high. But he, but uh, yeah, I, it does seem questionable. And, and it was interesting that one one of the reporters was was saying to him um, in the press match, press conference, "Look, you had so many great young players that you brought to the um, Confederations Cup a year ago. Um, why why are so few of them in the squad?" Um, and, and he was a little bit um, defensive over that and um, suggesting that you know, there, was, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the, the players he's chosen. And the reality is, of course, he's spoiled for choice, but he didn't seem to get the um, balance right at all today. I think what's really interesting for Germany is, what do they do now? Because, I mean, this this mm. wasn't just, you know, a sort of... You get, you have those those 1-0 defeats where you haven't actually played that badly and there's nothing too much fundamentally wrong for me, this was not one of those. This was actually quite alarming. They, Germany was so, so open at times, particularly getting countered through the middle. And Kadira and Kroos just did not look like a kind of... That just did not look like a double pivot that will work. I think Kadira in particular looked miles off the pace. So for me, what's interesting is, is what does Love do now? The, the simplest thing is you could put Sebastian Rudy in instead of Kadira, you could uh, move Joshua Kimmich, who has played as defensive midfielder, and put him as the defensive midfielder. One thing that I, I mean, Love is not reactive at all as a manager. He's not somebody who sort of tends to kind of, you know, overreact to defeat. So I don't think he'll do this, but he could. They won the Confederations Cup playing three at the back throughout the tournament. That would, you know, allow him to give Berteng and Hummels a bit of help. It lets Kimmich fly forward without, you know, with a bit less risk, leaving them less exposed at the back and kind of, you know, compensates for the fact that they don't really, they don't sort of have an N'Golo Kante type figure, say, in defensive midfield. I just wonder whether that, that might be an option. I think what often happens in these situations where, where, uh, a team starts badly, and uh, I, I think they often would make one or two sort of small changes for the for, for the or you know one or two tweaks, no panic for the um, for the second game. And then if things continue to go badly, then you then you see sort of something radical. Then you see a you know uh, you know a, a sort of desperate last throw of the, of the die. And I, I think if you look at the next two games against South Korea and Sweden. I think most people would expect two wins, and most people would expect them to go through. But um, it does really raise questions about their plan A, and they've spent so long content with that way of playing. And, and, and Love was talking about that today. Today, you know, they, this is how they play, and, and we're normally very, very good at it. And, and 
Um, he seemed not to. Um, he seemed not to think there was a reason for mass panic. But um, I'm sure. It, I'm sure he will be panicking if they don't um, win the next game. Uh, Oliver, just finally, uh, after the three thrillers that you've witnessed, what's the game we should be looking out for next? Where are you heading to? <laughs> uh, good, good question. Um, probably to Russia um, versus Egypt uh, on Tuesday, but, but it's all slightly up in the air. We, we, um, sort of try to pull, pull one or two ideas together. So probably that. Failing that, it, it might be Portugal, um, uh, Morocco on Wednesday. But definitely, I will be at uh, Argentina, Croatia on Thursday. So all eyes on that one. It should be another glass. <laughs> I certainly should. Uh, Oliver, for now, thank you very much. Real pleasure. Well, the result in Moscow certainly opens Group F up a little with the match taking place on Monday afternoon. Sweden versus South Korea, two nations that have been to the last four in the not-too-distant past. Now, before England's match with Tunisia, their rivals in Group G, Belgium, take on debutants Panama, are ranked the third best in the world and with the talents of Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku, James, to name a few. This only points for a win, doesn't it, for Roberto Martinez's side? Yes, I think I think Belgium are very very strong favourites for that match. Um, we actually talked a little bit in the preview podcast about how they had a quite weak qualifying group and they've actually faced a lot of quite weak nations in their friendlies, and they've scored a lot of goals. One thing they're very very good at is running up a lot of goals against slightly second rate opposition. So I think they will be absolutely fine here. Their weaknesses are kind of more a question of balance. Are they a bit too gung ho? You know, are they sort of solid enough against the, the bigger sides? But I don't think Panama are going to test that, even though they are missing Vincent Company and Thomas Vermaal. And I, I don't see Panama exploiting that. That's it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, James Gearbrandt, Jonathan Northcroft and Oliver Kay. Uh, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. For a limited time only, it is just a pound a month for your first three months. Search The Times sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. We'll be back after the final whistle as England open their World Cup campaign against Tunisia. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.